You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Useless Information Podcast, my collection of fascinating true stories from the flip side of history. My name is Steve Silverman, and today's story is titled, The Attack of the 50-Foot Garden Hose. But before we do that, let's start with today's question of the day. And for today's question of the day, I thought I'd ask you about the incredibly popular TV game show, Wheel of Fortune. And the question is quite simple. What was the original name of the show? And here are your choices in alphabetical order. Was it 1. Guess the Word 2. The Hangman's Wheel 3. Shopper's Bazaar 4. Spin the Wheel or 5. Stop the Wheel Again, what was the original name of the TV show Wheel of Fortune? Was it 1. Guess the Word 2. The Hangman's Wheel 3. Shopper's Bazaar four, spin the wheel, or five, stop the wheel. And as always, I'll let you ponder over this question for a bit, and I'll let you know the answer at the end of today's podcast. Now, I was looking at my last few podcasts, and I noticed that they were all fairly serious in topic. So I decided that it's time for something a bit more uplifting. It's time for the attack of the 50-foot garden hose. The cast of characters in the story are a 38-year-old truck driver named George DePezzo, his 30-year-old wife Ruth, their three children, which are 12-year-old Suzanne, 10-year-old Jean, and 7-year-old George, and most importantly, one ordinary half-inch or one-centimeter diameter, 50-foot or 15-meter garden hose that was about to bring them international fame. I have no idea of the age of the hose, but I'll just say that it had a lot of energy, so it must have been very young. Thursday, June 30th of 1955 started out like any other day at the family's four-year-old Downey, California home. Now, should you want to take a peek at the scene of the crime, although I really, really doubt that the current owners would appreciate your visit, their home was located at 7739 Alderdale Street, of course, in Downey, California. So here's what happened. Mom Ruth asked her daughter Suzanne to go out and water the ivy that afternoon. She immediately came back into the house and told her mom that the hose was stuck in the ground. Huh? What? So the two of them went back outside and sure enough, the hose had somehow buried itself in the ground. They tried pulling with all their might, but the hose would not budge. Neighbors came by to help, but their efforts were futile. So they decided to wait for Dad to get home from work, 
And when he did, George DePezzo pulled with all the strength of his 170-pound, 77-kilogram frame. But he had absolutely no success. He knew that he needed something much stronger. And then a light bulb went off in his head. The car. He hitched the hose to the bumper and he popped it into low gear. No luck. The hose snapped close to its free end. And here's where it gets bizarre. The hose appeared to be burying itself deeper and deeper into the ground. Alive! It's alive! It's alive! Well, maybe the hose wasn't alive, but they needed to check. What they decided to do was place a cloth marker on the hose to see just how fast it was descending. They measured that it moved about 18 inches or 46 centimeters in five hours. Now they needed to go to bed, so Dad tied the hose to the spigot, and when he came out the next morning, the sheer force of this oversized snake had started to bend the steel pipe. Again, they took a measurement and they found that it had moved an additional two feet or 60 centimeters. At this point, 13 feet or 4 meters of the hose had now disappeared beneath the ground. That's not bad for a hose that costs $3.95, which is about 33 bucks in today's money. Somehow, the media caught wind of this, and almost immediately, reporters and a very curious public started showing up on the DePezzo's lawn. Even an inspector from the water department raced to the scene. He found no evidence of an underground source of water, and he stated that the water table was about 120 feet, or 37 meters beneath the surface. Another expert, Ian Campbell, who was a geologist at Caltech, was also unable to explain what was happening here. He said, quote, it sounds like a version of the Indian rope trick. He added, I don't know of any natural phenomena that could achieve this effect. Meanwhile, the hose continued its downward journey to the center of the earth. The United Press office received a message from Tokyo that stated, Tell DePezzo and Downey that the other end of his hose has not turned up here yet, but we're all looking. It never made it to Japan. That's because Arizona's Bisbee Daily Review reported that a man named Henry Fufufnik had discovered DePezzo's hose emerging from the ground in his backyard. Now, I'm sure that you'll agree with me that the name Fufufnik makes the story a little bit suspect. This magical hose comes to life was starting to cause complete chaos in the DePezos' lives. They were getting absolutely no sleep from all the commotion outside their home. One woman sat there overnight just waiting for the hose to move. Every once in a while she would scream in excitement, There! It's wiggling! More than 1,000 people had trampled across their lawn within a 48-hour time period. Something had to be done to stop this madness. The solution was incredibly simple. Snip, snip. George DePezzo grabbed a pair of heavy shears and with one cut, he put the hose out of its misery. I couldn't stand it any longer, he was quoted as saying. He continued, this thing was getting out of hand and my life has been a big mess. You would think that this would be the end of the story in the press, but it wasn't. A few days after the story broke, they reported that Mrs. Robert Breeze, 
also from Downey, California, stuck her hose down a gopher hole to drown it, and the next thing she knew, 15 feet or four and a half meters of the hose had become a permanent part of the soil. Even with the help of three neighbors, they could not dislodge it. Then Calvin Barham of Norwalk, California, reported a similar problem. His hose was only pulled down about five feet, but when he dug it out, he reported that it was embedded in soft sand. On July 5th, a Coronado, California retired Navy captain, whose name was Stuart S. Reynolds, he stated that he pulled about 15 feet of another buried hose out of the ground at the residence of Mrs. Donald B. Ingerslew. What's going on here? It may sound like some mysterious force field had focused its energy on California and caused all these hoses to bury their heads in the sand. But it turns out this was not just a California phenomena. There was also a report that another hose in Rochester, New York, one that was owned by Mr. and Mrs. Richard Redden, it had plunged itself into the ground some 13 feet or 4 meters under a newly planted maple tree. A few days later, Neil M. Clark of El Paso, Texas reported a similar problem. His hose had buried itself some 17 feet or a little over 5 meters into the ground. But instead of losing a perfectly good hose, he borrowed a second hose from a neighbor. Neil hooked that hose up to the spigot and he turned it on full blast. He kept working that hose up and down next to the stuck hose and he did this you know, for about 10 minutes and he was able to work both free from the clutches of the soil. Then, a couple of weeks later, a Washington, D.C. hose, which was owned by Mr. and Mrs. Jimmy Reynolds, who lived at 3428 13th Street Southeast, it came to life. It took the efforts of a number of neighbors to pull it from the ground, but they eventually got it out, although the head of the beast, a.k.a. the nozzle, remained buried deep in the ground. And depending on who you spoke to, the hose was either buried 3 feet, 6 feet, 10 feet, or 12 feet in the ground. I guess we'll never know. On Sunday, September 25th of 1955, that's about three months after George DePezo had slaughtered that plastic hose, he was in the news once again. For some reason, he decided to go outside on that day and start digging. The press reported that he dug down 25 feet or over 7.5 meters, which honestly seems a bit exaggerated to me, to recover that darn hose. As one article reported, quote, there were no little green men, subterranean cabins, or oversized gophers, just a six-foot length filled with sand, which must have exerted sufficient pull on the remainder to cause the disappearance. Okay, so it wasn't a gopher. So then how did this happen? In the course of doing my research, I did find one story that was published two days after this all started. And it briefly mentioned that Mrs. DePezo had turned the water on right after her daughter had told her that it was stuck in the ground. She figured that the force of the water would push the hose end up to the surface. But instead, the opposite occurred. It's possible, although we'll never know for sure, that the running water created a large enough suction force to pull the hose down. A San Francisco woman named Raina Horner offered a similar explanation. She stated that, quote, 
If you leave the water running and put the nozzle in the ground, it will happen every time. She proceeded to demonstrate this to reporters by sticking her hose into the ground and turning the water on full blast. The hose ate its way six inches down into the soil. My guess is that all of the other people that had the same thing occur were just copycats. They probably read the story and went out to their yard to see if they could do the same. Junior scientists in the making or you know, possibly just seeking their 15 seconds, no, not 15 minutes, 15 seconds of fame, that we will never know for sure. In fact, no one has ever fully explained why this happened at the time. And since this is not currently a main focus of modern science research, I doubt that we will ever know. But then does anyone really care? My guess is that the hoses were burying their heads in the sand due to pure embarrassment and shame. You know, hoses were once made of high-quality black rubber, and they were something to be cared for and repaired when they leaked. Now they were being mass-produced in cheap, disposable plastic. What else could a hose do but hide in shame? Useless, useful, I'll leave that for you to decide. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And now for a few words from our retro sponsor. To save both time and money in waxing floors, use economical no-rubbing Aerowax. Just apply it, and in six to nine minutes, it dries itself to a hard, lustrous finish that saves countless scrubbing. Makes dingy floors shine like new. Yet Aerowax costs only 25 cents a pint. Try Aerowax, A-E-R-O-W-A-X, tomorrow. That commercial for Aerowax is from the February 10th, 1944 broadcast of Mr. Keen, Tracer of Lost Persons. This particular episode was titled, The Case of the Boy Who Used Big Words. Aerowax was a very popular product back in the days when nearly everyone used some sort of wax to polish the linoleum floors. The most popular version of this product was a liquid that came in a tall can. Now there were several other tie-in products marketed at the same time. There was Aero Paste Wax, Aero Liquid Polishing Wax, which supposedly cleaned at the same time that it restored the shine, and Aero Mist Glass Cleaner. Aero Wax was owned by a company called American Home Products, which eventually sold off all of its consumer products to focus on pharmaceuticals. In 2002, the company changed its name to Wyeth, and it was then sold to Pfizer in 2009. American home products got themselves in quite a bit of hot water in the early 1970s, and that's because they ran ads that showed that their products were better their competitors, but they weren't. The FCC forced them to stop making false claims for their products, which included Aerowax, Easy Off Window Cleaner, Easy On Speed Starch, and Black Flag Antin Roach Killer. Now, modern no-wax linoleum, which is really just a PVC plastic, holds the shine much better than real linoleum. 
so the need for floor waxes started to vaporize during the second half of the 20th century. There are several products on the market today called Aerowax, but I'm not sure if any of them have anything to do with the original product. The trademark was canceled with the U.S. Patent Office in 2004, so most likely it is no longer manufactured. And now for a few totally useless yet totally true tidbits from history. It's time for what I like to call News of the Weird Past. And today's stories all have to do with animals. Our first tidbit appeared in the news on January 31st of 1917, where it was reported that the city of Berlin, Germany had been buried by nearly a week's worth of falling snow. Now, normally the streets would have been cleared fairly quickly, but this was a time of war, World War I to be specific. And that meant that the men that would normally clear the snow from the streets were off fighting for the fatherland. General von Kessel, who was also the governor of Berlin at the time, he asked for every homeowner and janitor to take to the streets and clear the snow so that the horses could get through and supply food, coal, and materials to the factories that supplied the front. Everyone was asked to help and there were no exceptions. There were reports of women in furs and men with gold-rimmed eyeglasses scooping the white stuff aside. And then there were the elephants. Yes, elephants. They belonged to the Hagenbeck Show, which just happened to be in town at the time. These giant pachyderms had no problem doing the work that teams of horses could not. They easily pulled stuck vehicles out of the snow, and they were able to draw heavy carts loaded with tons of materials. Soon, the streets were clear of snow. Our second story occurred on October 9th of 1934 in Middletown, Maryland. It seems that a farmer named Charles R. Holter had cleared his farm of all of its animals back in August, and they were doing this so they could thrash the wheat from the fields. But when they were done, two hogs were found to be missing. They searched the area, but they were not found. Fast forward 56 days and some farm workers heard some strange noises coming from one of the haystacks. So they started removing the hay and they discovered the two missing hogs buried underneath along with another surprise. There was a duck under there. The hogs were now 56 pounds or 25 kilograms lighter and they were in awful shape. But the duck seemed just fine. He just picked himself up and waddled over to the watering trough as if nothing had happened. And our last tidbit for today is one that my wife told me she heard on the radio a few weeks ago, although I could find no reference of it when I looked at NPR site and you know a few others. So maybe I mentioned it to her, but I don't recall doing so. Anyway, it's about a tortoise named Joey who had just been found by his owner Edward Johnson of London after a long absence. No big deal except for the fact that he had long thought that this tortoise had been killed when his home was hit by an incendiary bomb during World War II. Mr. Johnson had since rebuilt his home and, you know, moved on with his life. Then 13 years later, on Sunday, August 16th of 1953, Joey was found alive and doing just fine in a nearby drain pipe. And now for the answer to today's question of the day. And I'd ask you what the original name of the TV game show Wheel of Fortune was. The choices were 1. Guess the Word, 2. The Hangman's Wheel, 3. Shopper's Bazaar, 
four, spin the wheel, or five, stop the wheel? And the answer is three, Shopper's Bazaar. The pilot for the show was filmed in September of 1973, and it hardly resembled what we know today. About the only thing that the pilot and the current show have in common are, one, a host, which just happened to be Chuck Woolery at the time, two, three contestants, and third, there was a wheel with dollar values on it. In the pilot, each of the three contestants chose which products they would compete for. Then, instead of manually turning the wheel like they do today, the announcer would say something like, Steve, stop the wheel, at which point I would blurt out, stop, and the wheel would slow to point to a dollar amount. If I guessed the correct letter, I would accumulate money in my account to ultimately buy that prize. There is a clip of it on YouTube, so just search for Shopper's Bazaar and you'll get a great laugh from it. I'm pretty sure you will. Now, a few other facts about the show. Most people do know that it was created by Merv Griffin, you know, the late talk show host and entertainer, and he was also the creator of the show Jeopardy. He conceived the idea after remembering how much he enjoyed playing Hangman as a kid while he was traveling on long rides with his sister. The wheel was included because he was always drawn to the roulette wheels at casinos. There were actually three pilots filmed, the latter two with host Ed Burns, who is best remembered for playing Kooky on the classic TV show 77 Sunset Strip. Now YouTube does have clips of both of these pilots, and they're incredibly close to the format of the show that finally aired. Legend has it that Burns was just too intoxicated on the set, and he kept making mistakes, so the job went back to Chuck Woolery when the show premiered. I'll leave you with just one more piece of trivia. Most fans know that the first letter that Vanna White turned on the show was a T, but did you know that she made the Guinness Book of World Records in 1992 as, quote, television's most frequent clapper? Apparently, she averages 720 claps per show, or 28,000 per season. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's story titled The Attack of the 50-Foot Garden Hose. It's actually a fun one to research. Uh, if you'd like to read more true stories just like these, please be sure to get a copy of one of my books. They're Einstein's Refrigerator and Lindbergh's Artificial Heart. Both are written by me, Steve Silverman, and they're available from your local bookseller online and from your local library. 
You can find additional resources, including some PDFs of the original uh, newspaper articles I used for the story, as well as some additional comments I have on the podcast and some other related links. Uh, they can be found on my Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash useless information podcast. That's all one word, useless information podcast. If for some reason you'd like to contact me, you can also drop me an email at useless at steve.silverman.name. That's useless at steve.silverman.name. There's also a link on my Facebook page uh, to do so. Anyway, uh, I thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in the next time. Bye. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.